that and saying, you're not going to believe this, but we've decided to manufacture furniture. And he said, what makes you think you can buy a table saw and um, have a building and start competing with the big boys in North Carolina? And I right. said, well, I really believe our finishes are going are to be so outstanding yeah. that people are going to want ours. Hi, everybody. Today, I'm super excited to share my conversation with my friend, Amy Howard, who is from Memphis, Tennessee. Amy tells us all about how she took a risk and started her very own company in the early 1990s called Amy Howard Collection, which was a company where she and her husband designed and manufactured beautiful high-end furniture. They started out small, but worked tremendously hard and eventually gained a huge following and found themselves selling high-end furniture to people all over the world, including famous people. Amy was also kind enough to tell us about her setbacks, such as in 2008 when the crisis hit and her target audience suddenly changed. People were no longer buying luxury furniture and manufacturers were copying her furniture at a much cheaper rate. But Amy didn't give up. She found grit, got creative, pivoted, and evolved her business into something so amazing. I can't wait for you to listen to the rest of Amy's wonderful story. Welcome, Amy, to High Five Success Stories. Thank you. Very excited to have you. And I need to give a special shout out to our mutual friend, uh, Jill Cohen, who so very kindly connected us. And just so the listeners know, I interviewed Jill this past fall, and Jill has had an incredible career in the book publishing industry. So definitely tune into Jill's interview if you have the chance. Um, and I've also got, you know, Amy, I was just telling you before I read both of your books, which are awesome. A maker's guide, which basically is an amazing roadmap to creative entrepreneurship. And then your book that comes out this week, rescue, restore and redecorate. Um, and I'll include this all in the show notes too, but I just wanted to let you know that I've really, um, enjoyed them, but before, yeah. So before we dive into, you know, your books and your story, would love for you to give the listeners a little bit of background on where you grew up, went to school, and all that sort of stuff. Well, um, first of all, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. And, it's, you know, it's exciting for me. I'm so busy day to day that to, to have the thought process of going through where I came from and my thought process behind it and the reason for things is, is good for me to go back to that point again. Mm-hmm. And, um, it really continues to keep me focused on, on my personal journey as well. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Yes. Um, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. I still live here. And um, I was the youngest of three kids. My dad was a builder and a developer. And if, you know, I, I say this um, almost in a jokingly way, but um, I learned my work ethic from my parents because mm-hmm. if I wanted an allowance, my dad would hand me a broom and tell me to go clean out one of the houses that he was building. I love it. So, yeah. Um, I, I was very involved, you know, on the construction sites that my, my dad had and, and building commercial as well as residential houses. Mm-hmm. And so I really thought at one time I might go into construction, which I did for a while, but I love seeing things go, um, through the transformation process of okay. just wood into a finished house. So um, I wound up uh, going to school at the University of Mississippi mm-hmm. and um, or otherwise called Old Miss. Okay. Graduated from, of course, 
earlier than that. I mean, I graduated from Briarcrest, which is a um, college preparatory school, and then went to Ole Miss, and then went some to uh, the University of Memphis, and um, stayed in Memphis and started my my first business, and um, that was probably the last 32 years of my journey, which we'll go into in just a minute. Right. Amy, how old are you? Do you mind me asking? No, 57. 57. Okay. So so I kind of want to segue into that then for you to tell us about um, the trade-offs you made um, when you came up with the idea of the Amy Howard collection. So can you take us down that path and also let us know how old you were then too, because um, some of my listeners like to kind of frame it out. Um, so, so yeah, I would love to hear, you know, how you came up with the idea and, um, and sort of where you were in life. And if, again, did you make those trade-offs? So was it scary? Um, when I was 27 years old, I had two little bitty girls Okay. and my husband at the time, uh, got cancer Okay. and he, um, he thought he was going to die. Mm-hmm. He didn't know how much time he had left. And everybody reacts to cancer differently, but my husband left me. And I was left with two little girls. I had put everything in my life into him and my family and, um, and of course, my daughters. And so, you know, I tell people I had said that I was, um, I had always been someone's daughter, someone's wife, and someone's mother. But I had no idea I had no idea who I was. Okay. And so I had to really go back into what it, what it was that I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And okay. so I went back to school and I studied business and art. Um, I made another degree of wanting the business aspect of it, but I wanted to go back and learn fine arts. What I couldn't before because my parents would have never, ever let me take painting lessons and mm-hmm. um, graphic design and photography. And mm-hmm. so that freedom and in going into the recesses of my, my mind of what I loved originally really mm-hmm. gave me a lot of freedom. So mm-hmm. I was a single mom. I had two small children. Okay. And um, I was happy as a lark working 30 hours a week and going to school, taking 18 hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, I met this man and his name was Gene Howard. Okay. And um, he had grown up in a furniture store, furniture business. Um, he had gone to FIT and actually trained in the aeronautics program there um, oh, wow, as a okay. pilot. And he said, if we were to get married, what would you want to do? And I said, I really want to design and manufacture furniture. And mm-hmm. he said, um, what else? And I said, that's really what I want to do. And he right. said, well, um, I've toted furniture my entire life. Could we do something else? And I said, well, what if we, what if we rescued furniture and you let me paint it and we sell it? And so, we bought an old Toyota van. Mm-hmm. We took a thousand dollars cash, okay. and we went to the Nashville Antique Show, and um, we bought furniture for me to redo. So Amazing. we came back and we started doing that and built up quite a following. And we would have designers there as we as our trucks got bigger, and yeah. as I would unload them, and they would say, "What are you going to do to this?" And I would tell them, and they'd say, "Sold." Okay. And so. The, the freedom that I had that they trusted me with my aesthetic and the finishes that I would create and develop, we mm-hmm. said, what if we what if we started manufacturing like these pieces that are so great that we only have one of? What if we had 50 of them? 
We can yeah. sell all of them. Right. So we decided to buy a DeWalt table saw for $1,500. And, uh, of course, all the equipment was one by one. And um, I remembered my dad. Uh, I was calling my dad and saying, you're not going to believe this, but we've decided to manufacture furniture. And he said, what makes you think you can buy a table saw mm-hmm. and um, have a building and start competing with the big boys in North Carolina? And I right. said, well, I really believe our finishes are going are to be so outstanding yeah. that people are going to want ours. And so fast forward many years later, it was interesting because um, I actually had a call from Hillary Clinton's designer wow. commissioning me to make a piece to go in her state department office. Wow. And um, so it, it grew, but, it, it it really said um, when when you're in your elements um, for us it was it was feast or famine. We knew that we had to work long hours. Right. We it wasn't a nine to five. It was whatever it took. It was seven days a week, and we had to do that to literally make a living and buy food. Right. So. Uh, that resourcefulness, sometimes when you have to and there's no choice, there's nothing to fall back on, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's it's how you make it. Right. It's the grit. Yeah. Um, and uh, backpedaling a little bit, would you ever be able to give advice about, because how old were you when your husband left you? I was 20... 26 and a half. Okay. So most of my listeners are between the ages of like 25 and 35. So um, what advice would you give to, you know, some of the listeners that might be going through um, a similar type of adversity where they have to overcome it and sort of start all over again? Go deep like I did. Yeah. Know that you were made for a purpose. You have to become, finally, you have to be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to go to that place and, and say, what am I really, what am I good at? Mm-hmm. And and say, you and, and, and say, realize your giftings and your passions are your purpose for being on earth. Mm-hmm. So if so many people love to write, right. they're like, I can't make a living at that. Well, then find someone, look for a position, start at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Get a roommate and right. take less money and work your way up. Right. But go find someone that does that you love and ask them to mentor you. If they're my age, I, I love mentoring. Right. And I and you're at a point that you want to lead somebody the right direction and say, Give me let me tell you where I'm at, let me tell you what I love and and, and I would love to do what you're doing. Can I do that? And what would be the recommendation you would tell me? to do, whether it's a writer or, you know, in construction or, um, a stained glass make, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, does that answer your question? Yes. No, that was great. Thank you. Um, and a couple more questions I have following off of your amazing story with Jean. I love that. Um, so what was it like going into a business venture with your husband? So how did you guys sort of divide and conquer? Gina's my best friend. Okay. I mean, we've been married 20, 26 years. Mm-hmm. He's still my best friend. He's, you know, but I will say this, we're, we're bipolar opposites. Mm-hmm. Um, I love disc assessments. I use it um, on a weekly basis or monthly basis whenever we're hiring someone new. And um, I love seeing where somebody 
is mm-hmm. in their natural tendencies, and I'm a DI, and he's um, an SC. Okay. And so, what does that mean exactly? Um, well, the DISC assessment is how you work with one another and okay. how people relate, and your your um, your natural style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a Myers Briggs. It's 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 kind of a personality, but it's how you work together, and so how you need to approach someone. That's it's change is difficult for how you get your point across or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, most entrepreneurs are DIs. Okay. The D is you're driven, you complete things. You're also a control freak. Mm-hmm. You, um, you're a visionary. You know exactly where things need to go. Uh, the I is the, you're an influencer. You okay. can sell people on your idea. You're very relational. Mm-hmm. Um, you love communicating. You love, so Strong entrepreneurs on a scale from zero to 100 mm-hmm. um, are going to be in the upper 50 percentile. Okay. I'm a 99D and a 98I, Okay. So, which is a scary place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the S and the C, the S is very steady, mm-hmm. um, very consistent, very loyal. I mean, you can go into all kinds of things with that. Very task-oriented. Okay. The C is very detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, again, very task-oriented. Um, not much of a people person, but it's that loyal friend that mm-hmm. is that's watching your back. Okay. And so the two of us together make one really good person. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that definition. It's very cool. Um, so can you go into again, sort of, cause I'm not that familiar with the furniture industry, sort of what set the Amy Howard collection apart from the other competition? I know you mentioned a little bit about, you know, when you talked to your dad about it, but would love for you to kind of go into that as well. You know, the um, it started out with the fact that the the furniture that we were buying the flea markets mm-hmm. they were all different. Okay. They were all different periods and styles mm-hmm. and um, colors and finishes. And so I always saw furniture as like a like a child, or it had its own personality. Okay, that's why I named all my pieces. They didn't have numbers. Okay. Um, have numbers as far as a skew for inventory, you know, accounting purposes. Right. But they all had names. Okay. And so, um, the uh, what? So one piece might be um, an English um, inspired Chippendale piece with chamoiserie on it. Mm-hmm. Another one might be a 17th century Scandinavian, the color palette, the finish. Okay. But it was the it was the process that I was going through. That if I was going to do interior design, I wanted my house to look collected. Okay. I traveled and I didn't want everything to be these kind of matching sets. Okay. And when you would go to market or you go to high point or New York or whatever, so much of that was, here's the bed. Right. Here are the nightstands. Okay. They all they look like a set. They kind of complement one sure. another. Yeah. And ours was more the inspiration from the antique, the story behind the antique, okay. the story behind the finish, the color, the patina, all that. Okay. Um, so it was our differentiator was finishes. Okay. It was the finish and it was the design that you didn't see anywhere else. Uh, question two. So, um, cause this was before my time a little bit, but, um, the internet wasn't big back when you first started, right? Am I? No. Okay. So how That's did, right. how did you spread the word? Like, how did that happen? Did you go to pop-ups? Like I'm just interested in how, um, you know, how you gained the following. So the, the mode of operation then, if you were dealing with very high-end furniture, mm-hmm. it was sold through an interior designer. 
Okay. So there were there were design centers okay. all over the country. Every major every major city had a design center. Okay. And the interior designer would go in the design center, and she would there would be um, you know showroom after showroom after showroom of fabrics okay. and upholstery and case goods. They they called the furniture case goods. Okay. And so um, she would go in there, and and the clients would meet her and. Um, or him or her, okay. and um, sit on the furniture by off the showroom floor. And okay. so we would have showroom pieces there. People would see them, touch them, and then choose. We customized everything. We had over okay. – one time we had about 340 pieces in the line. Wow. But they could customize it size. Okay. Anyway, so it could literally be thousands okay. of pieces. Got it. Um. Because in the South, when your parents are mean or like upset or yeah. not being mean, it wasn't being mean, but it was, it was doubting me and that I was making a poor decision and that we could, um, we might be destitute. Right, right. <laughs> so it was like, Amy D, you can't do that. I right. Mean, you just can't compete with those guys. And so, um, you know, it's funny because he's he's one of my biggest fans now mm-hmm. but, and, and has been for many years. But if I had to listen to him. I would right. never be where I am today. Right. So how did you so, yeah. how did you avoid the na- how did you not fall victim to someone like your dad who was an important part person in your life? You, you have to you, know, you one you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I'll be honest with you, and this is my this is part of my personal journey. But Gene and I would pray over everything. Okay. If we would we would pray over it and we'd sleep on it and we'd pray over it again and mm-hmm. and when we had a real it, and some people call it your gut some people call it your intuition mm-hmm. I truly believe that some of the best leaders and the best entrepreneurs is part of what they are they're very intuitive mm-hmm. and they they have to move forward on their gut in such a way it's like I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt right. so. Um, when we had a complete peace about something after we had prayed over it, then we'd move forward and right. we'd go to the next step. And it, okay. it never, ever took us down the wrong path. Right. So, I love that. Where was the moment sort of where, um, you know, what, what were your sales where you were kind of living comfortably, where you sort of made it at that point? I think when we were doing over a million dollars a year in sales. Okay. Wow. Um, and what year was that? That was probably... Um, two and a half years after we got, after we were really doing it full time. Okay. Wow. So the mid 1990s around. Yes. Okay. And then you were off to the races at that point. Yes. So you had your following and everything else. Yes. That's really cool. Yes. So I guess, what would you say it took probably a good three years to, to get everything up yes. and running? Okay. Yes. No, we were making, you know, we were making good money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, um, we were do- we were doers. Right. I wasn't delegating it all off. Okay. And, and that was that's why when I tell you in the beginning that I have a work ethic, I it's all 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 boots are on the ground. Right. All everybody is willing to do whatever while you work to have an org chart and while you want to have some differentiation as far as where people's skill sets are and what they do. When you're trying to do a launch. If somebody's really worried about only doing their part, mm-hmm. they're probably not on the bus anyway. Right. So I think they talk about that in the book, Good to Great. They do. Right? Okay. They yeah. Do, and I use that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I had to, uh, like I was just telling you, I, I just bought that book. So I'm excited to uh, keep reading I don't it. Rob you for, oh, <laughs> on the bus and being in the right seat. In the right seat. Okay. Um, it's an epiphany. You right. will use it forever. Okay. 
Um, and now one story I would love for you to tell, and I'm not sure where this happened along the journey, but I love the story when you jump on the plane to meet Robert Allen Beacon Hill. And so did you cold call him? Like, how did that go down? Because that was, I feel like that was risky. Okay. I literally went through all the design center books. Okay. And I wanted to, in every major city. Okay. I went and called every design center and I bought a book. Some of them, they were free, but I got one from every city. Okay. And I went through every one of them and I saw it was the same company. Mm-hmm. And it was like some would, would focus on it was only available in Boston. Okay. Or maybe another company was just in Dallas. Or, okay. And I was like, I'm seeing Robert Allen Beacon Hill, Robert Allen Beacon Hill. And I'm like, they had like 25 showrooms. Right. And I thought, if I want to be able to nail one showroom mm-hmm. and be in all of them, Right. It should be Robert Allen Beacon Hill. And okay. so um, I contacted who at the time, it was one buyer, okay. if you can imagine. Yeah. And um, he lived in Boston. Of course, that's where they were based out of. Mm-hmm. And I asked if I could meet him. And I didn't, he didn't care. He didn't ask where I lived. Okay. He said, well, you know, I'm going to be in Boston. Um, I'm coming in or whatever. And I was like, if I can just, if, if I can have 30 minutes of your time, mm-hmm. he said, well, when are you going to be in Boston? And I said, well, when is it, when is a good time? <laughs> and he said it and I said, perfect. I'll meet you in the hotel lobby at five o'clock. How's that? And he was like, sounds great. Oh my gosh. And it was like three days later. And I, I remember running into Jean and I go, you're not going to believe this, but I've got to buy a ticket to go to Boston <laughs> and take our janky little catalog and our mm-hmm. pictures. Right. And tell them why we should be in Robert Allen Beacon Hill. Wait, Amy, what year was this? Because just out of curiosity. This was, um, it was probably, it was probably about a year and a half after we got started. Okay, so it's early. Years. So this is early. Yes. It's it early 1990s. It and so at that point, it's so funny looking back because now I feel like you could have easily just like snapped pictures on your phone and then, you know, print and brought them up. And so you oh, actually no, had to oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. take photos. No, yeah. No. Wow. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but, okay. you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I could just cry. I, it seems like yesterday. Mm-hmm. And he was so gracious. And, yeah. he, and we just hit it off. Okay. And I think, you know, that's the other thing as far as advice. There is something incredibly attractive about transparency. Mm-hmm. Don't try to be something that you're not. Right. And when you have, you can have this confidence level with with humility. Mm-hmm. And to keep real people, you want to do business with real people. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't, of course, never be dishonest and try to impress someone. Mm-hmm. But just for me to be able to tell him why I was so passionate about my furniture and and why I was so, you know, I had my finishes with me and, mm-hmm. and I was showing him and I was selling him. He was like, this is great. Like, nobody does this. Yeah. Like, we deal with all these manufacturers that they're just about skews. They're not children to them. They're not these passionately, you know, made handcrafted pieces and right. hand finished. Okay. So um, he totally got it. Yeah. Amazing. So then you started going into all his showrooms, I'm assuming. It started a long yes. relationship. Wow. Yes. That's yes, really cool. For almost 20, almost 20. We were in Robert Allen Bacon Hill showrooms for almost 20 years. Wow. 
And it was because you jumped on that plane, essentially. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So th- that that is such a cool story. I love that. Um, and it's almost... I mean, and I didn't make it a big deal to him. Okay. I didn't tell him I lived in Memphis. I didn't tell oh. him. I, it was it was the easeability of literally like I lived in Boston and it was like do you want to meet for coffee? <laughs> I took care of all the details. Does that okay. Make sense? Yes. No. That's amazing. Okay. So you got you started that relationship and then did that help grow your company even more? I'm assuming. Oh my gosh! It gave yeah. me national exposure. Wow. And Robert Allenby can Hill. I was I was in the same showroom side by side of Henry Don and um, companies that had. Hundred year old legacies. Yeah, so cool. It gave me, it gave me uh, credibility. Instantly. Right, right, right. That's amazing. I really love that story. Um, so then, how are we doing on time too? So I want to be respectful of what's of your time. Yeah, so it's five fifty your time. So I think we're okay. Um, okay. So um, I guess what I wanted to. See go on to next was you know can I just point out one thing yes of course it wasn't too long after that uh, well yes it was I mean it's probably four more after about four years um I talked to somebody at Schumacher mm-hmm. and uh told them what we were doing and okay. they flew to Memphis to kind of see my studio and our factory mm-hmm. and I started designing and manufacturing for them Wow. Okay. And designed and made furniture for F. Schumacher for 18 years. Wow. That's amazing. So the doors were just started opening, which is so cool. Yes. Um, so, and are there any other big names that you did, you know, furniture for besides the Hillary Clinton's of oh, the world? Of there are. Yeah. I mean, there's, yes. Okay. I mean, a lot of major CEOs, a lot of major, um, you know, if people like country music, it's like, okay, well, I'll say, um, Faith Hill right. and Tim McGraw have several pieces for the things for, you know, in Nashville House and the, okay. the House in Beverly Hills. I yeah. mean, um, but, but I really, um, while it was kind of fun to kind of go through that, I, I really was more excited about mm-hmm. um, the young couple or the couple in, um, Dallas that saved up because they thought our piece was just amazing. Right. And, I love that. Yeah. Um, and they would keep it. And I, I cannot tell you call after call after call that we would have people call us and say, I've had your serpentine commode for six years. I've tried to find another piece that would go in the same room on the other side of our bed. Uh-huh. It could be, could it stand in this like No. So we want you to make another one. And I'm like, I can't match a finish right. on a piece that we did six years ago. I mean, it's a hand, hand finished piece that enjoy it because yeah. there will never be one just like that again. Right. So, so amazing. Um, and so Amy, what I want to go to next a little bit is that fast forward from the 1990s to 2011 when your target audience started to change a little bit from what I, from you know my reading. Um, and it yes. was no longer the luxury buyer, but rather the 23 year old uh, DIY blogger, or yes. as you say, the 65 year old retiree taking up perhaps a woodworking hobby. So can you yes. tell us about this time and how you had to pivot? This was probably the most difficult when, when I think back in the most mm. difficult time of my life, this is it okay. because the whole country, I mean, this, we build watching the economy mm-hmm. and it's plummeting. Right. I mean, 
people aren't buying expensive cars. People aren't buying expensive houses. People mm-hmm. aren't buying. They're, right. They sure weren't going to be buying $10,000 beds. Exactly. Okay. And, um, this is leading up to 2011? Around yes. there? Okay. This is up leading up, yes. 2008, I mean, okay. Even going back to 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, all that time. And, um, you know, I had to go really back again. Um, to what am I good at? What 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 is my core, and um, what can I be better than anybody else in the world, mm-hmm. really and truly? Mm-hmm. And where's that economic engine? Mm-hmm. And that was my finishes. Okay. So we, um, I told Jean, I was like, if uh, if we took the processes that we had developed. Mm-hmm. That everybody admires about our furniture, okay. and we put them in a bottle and we patented them. Mm-hmm. We could teach people how to do it because when I would, when I would go and I would say, "Where do you buy your furniture?" and they'd say, "An estate sale, a garage sale." Okay, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, my cocktail tables are thirty nine hundred dollars." Right, and they're telling me they're paying, they're bragging, saying, "Oh my gosh, look at this! I got this for ten dollars," wow. or this was on the side of the road and it was free. Okay. Wow. So I was like, they're not going to tune in to expensive furniture anymore. And then a lot, a lot of them were co- my pieces were being copied. Okay. And they were being made overseas, and mm-hmm. they were being paid. They were being sold for a fraction of what I was selling them right, for. Right, right, right. And so we would still manufacture a little bit of furniture because people were. Uh, wanting the customization, but not nearly the volume of pieces that we were shipping. Okay. Um, and we started developing um, what we called Amy Howard at home. Okay. And um, our tagline was rescue, restore, redecorate. Okay. And, you know, I found out that we were throwing away 28 million tons of furniture. Mm-hmm. And... If somebody wanted to go green, it was like, let me show you how to rescue or restore. Right. So, yeah. But I didn't realize what, what was the most difficult time. And I think so much of it was because I was transitioning. I had a staff of people that had been with me for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. How many people and yet that did you have with you? Just out of curiosity. At that, at that time when it was changing, there were probably 25, 28, okay. 30 people. Okay. And so I was having to say, what what is this looking like as we're pairing, you know, down on all of this. Okay. And um, it was, um, you know, to have to come home and say, okay, like this, this guy's a woodworker and this guy's does lathe machine and this guy does, you know, he's a cutter. And, and, and I'm like, this is their livelihood. Mm-hmm. I can't let these men go. Right. I can't let these finishers go. They've been so loyal to me. Mm-hmm. But um, what I didn't realize is uh, we we had a little um, store, our outlet here in Memphis, that we would take furniture from our uh, showrooms and we would funnel it through as sa- our samples, mm-hmm. and because they would they would get worn out and if there were returns or damages or whatever, we would sell them in this outlet, and that that little outlet was doing about a million dollars a year in sales, okay. and. I thought, I'm going to take some of the uh, product that we had developed and we're working through, and I'll have a mock-up test in the back. And I'll invite some people, and I'll see if they want to learn how to be able to do things hands-on. And okay. so um, 
we emailed that out. Like I was charging like $285 for this workshop. Okay. And on a Saturday morning, the people would sit in a U and I would have them go around and say, tell me what you do for a living. Tell me why you're here. Mm-hmm. What do you want to learn? What do you hope to get out of it? And I remember the first guy in this year, he said, well, I'm, um, I'm a 64 year old attorney. I work at federal express. Mm-hmm. I am straight and I'm available. Mm-hmm. And it was hilarious. <laughs> like, like, is this a commercial for, um, uh, Tinder didn't involve, I mean, that wasn't around right. or whatever, but like a dating, like a way, a way to meet women or because he was the only man here. And oh my gosh, the, the other people that went around, they were, um, a blogger, a stay at home mom, okay. a retired judge, a, um, uh, a cardiologist, a, I mean, these were educated people. These were professional people. They right. had real jobs. Okay. They weren't decorative artists that were wanting to learn another skill. And what I realized is that they needed to press pause on life for a little while. Mm-hmm. And they needed to be able to connect with the community of people. Okay. And I realized I'd hit something. Yeah. And I was able to teach them that there was an opportunity for people to connect and talk about real difficult life issues that nobody ever talked about. Yeah. Because they were working with their hands okay, and making new friendships right. and learning a new skill all along at the same time. Right. That's amazing. And so that was right around 2011? Yes. Okay. Got it. Um, and... So, so from that point forward, can you tell us the story of how you then founded um, in your partnership with Ace Hardware a couple years later? You know, oddly enough, now, and it's really weird for me to be talking to you yeah. <laughs> um, about this, because I'm seeing this all put together. Right. And, um, I was, it was a Saturday evening, um, Jean had gone to pick up our song in Preston, and I was watching uh, The Gaithers. It's a goofy gospel group okay. on Channel 10, and I was flipping through, and I just sat there, and I was listening to it, and I flipped to another channel, and there was Ace Hardware, okay. and I truly, really felt like, um, really felt like the Lord said, I want you to go to Ace Hardware, and I'm like, no offense, but um, I've never been to an Ace Hardware. Okay. I've never been inside <laughs> an Ace Hardware. Okay. Why in the world would I go to Ace Hardware? Right. So, um, I looked it up. They were, uh, I Googled, they were getting a new CEO. His name was Jonathan Heisen. And um, on Monday morning, I called, um, I had my assistant call Ace Hardware, okay. got through to uh, the head merchant okay. in the paint department. They were getting ready to go to the convention in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And I said, I would love to go to Chicago and meet you. Right. And I would love to out the paint line that I have. Okay. It's and, almost like when you did with, um, when you yeah, flew to Boston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, um, I'd love to meet you. Come on. And so I got off the phone. I said, Gene Howard, we need to buy two airline tickets to Chicago because we are going to um, Ace Hardware okay. next week. So we went in. I had a PowerPoint presentation. I talked with Santin Lee. Told him, um, back up. Let me back up. I just realized something. No, okay. I did not talk to Santo Lee. Okay. His mother was ill. I was supposed to talk to Santo Lee. Okay. We're at the hotel. Um, and who was Santo Lee again? Santo Lee was the assistant merchant. Okay. Excuse me. He was the main, he was the merchant for the paint department. Okay. And there was a guy over him 
that was ahead of was the head over all of the paint department. Got it. Okay. And so um, he uh, he emails me that morning. I'm getting ready to literally leave the hotel mm-hmm. to go to Oak Brook to have this meeting with him. And he okay. says, "I'm so sorry to tell you this. My mother is ill. I will not be able to meet with you. Okay. If you still want to meet, and I'm going what? Yeah. I've flown here." I've paid the money for a hotel. You bet I want to meet with somebody. Right. So he said, my um, my friend that is uh, that I work with, and he's also the lead merchant, he'll meet with you. Okay. So we went in there. I'm telling my spiel and everything, and they're like, well, you know, Santo actually set this up. You probably need to continue the conversation with him. And I'm like, oh. but they were like, but we love this. Right. Okay. So I talked to him again. He said, why don't you go and come back? I'm sorry. I'll meet with you. Sat in the office, sat with him. That was the first of three or four flights. Wow. Meetings okay. And people. And, and Amy, just to, so- just to back up so the listeners know, you were selling your um, high-end artisan quality paint products. Yes. Okay. Yes. To, that you had developed over the past couple of years. Okay. Yes. And I had already gone to market. We went to Atlanta. Okay. Okay. And I had probably 150 boutique retailers before I ever went. Before to you went. Okay. So at this point, you're you're well on your way with your yes. with your products. Okay. Yes. But Ace yes. Hardware would be like the be all end all a little bit with your partnership. Well, there I'm were assuming. five thousand stores. Right. Okay. Worldwide. <laughs> Worldwide. Okay. So, um, but I was thinking if we could get in 250, or we could get in 500. Or, yeah. You know. So they're all independently owned. It is a cooperative. So one person doesn't deem and make a decision that gets everywhere. Every one of those people that own those stores, they will get it. Okay. Got it. A lot of people don't realize that. Okay. So um, so the third time I went to see him, he, he stood there. We, we were leaving, and he's like, I really believe in you. And I like this one. He said, yeah. But he said, we have one issue. I'm just going to be real honest with you. We have a woman that's been the president of Bear Paints. She's kind of over this. And... She doesn't think we need you. And uh, she said, basically, why do we need her? We can make anything we want, which is true. Okay. And uh, and I I just kind of put my hand back on his shoulder and I said, Santa, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. Okay. If it's not, I'm not worried about it. Right. I'm going to be really honest with you. I have a complete peace. About two weeks later, I got a call from him. And he said, Amy, you're not going to believe this. But that woman that said that we didn't need you, she's no longer here. Wow. You want to fly back up to Chicago? I just got the chills. Wow. Yeah. I'll I'll come. So I got on a plane. I went back to Chicago. I did the spiel. He brought the marketing department in. He brought all the people in. Yeah. We went to the convention. The Thursday before the convention, I was going through a book called Experiencing God. Okay. I really felt like the Lord told me, mm-hmm. I want you to be sure and find the CEO of Ace Hardware when you get there. And I, wanted to, I want you to tell him that this was an answer to his prayer, not yours. So okay. please don't ask me to do that. Yeah. We got to the convention. I'll be honest with you. I should have worn depends because I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't <laughs> eat. We were covered up. Covered up. Wow. People. Yeah. Everybody was coming around going, you know, you're the prize job. You know, you're the, you're the main event here. And I right. said, no, I didn't know that. I can't leave my booth. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Wow. So we were going to the bathroom. We would wear these little aprons. Gene and I were holding hands. And I yeah. saw the six foot seven CEO, Jonathan Heisen. 
Okay. I walked up to him. I introduced myself. I told him, I said, you may want to be able to, um, here's our card. It's our first time here. We're really excited. Thank you so much for letting us come and be at the convention. And, mm-hmm. and I squeezed Jean's hand, and I knew that I had to tell him. And I said, Mr. Van Huysen, I have to tell you that I was reading this book that I've been going through, and it's called Experiencing God, and it said, I really felt like I was supposed to tell you that this was an answer to your prayer, not mine, that we were here. Wow. And I thought, there's no telling what's going to come out of this man's mouth. Yeah. This woman is crazy. <laughs> and he leaned into me, and he said, Amy, did you know that I was going to leave Ace Hardware and become a pastor at Willow Creek Church? Wow. Wow. I said, well, maybe you need to know that there are people here for our mission. I said, our our tagline is rescue, restore, redecorate. Right. And we we are rescuing furniture, mm-hmm. but we love also rescuing people. People, yeah. I said, we, we are involved in human trafficking as far as rescuing women from human trafficking. Okay. So maybe you need to know that the vendors here, that it, it, on the surface it looks like paint. Yeah. But it's actually rescuing people too. Right. So um, it, it was just confirmation again and again and again that I was I was on the right path. You're on the right path, and right. So not too long after that, uh, we went into a few hundred stores with okay. those. They okay. called me up and they said, come back up to Chicago. We talked to them. They said, we're going to take you nationally. Wow. We're going to, we're going to, we want you to do a national television commercial. Never had a vendor do that before. Okay. They said, we're going to make it into an end cap because I had designed an end cap with all the products. Yeah. We're going to put the end cap in 2,400 stores. Okay. Um, it was like first, this is a first, this yeah. is a first. And um, then I traveled around the country and Went to every RSC, which is a retail service center. Right. I trained hundreds after, like, hundreds and hundreds of stores after city after city and was yeah. able to go and meet with these people and connect with them on a deep level. Wow. Um, it was powerful. The furniture never let me meet people like that. Right. And really hug them and love on them and um, – see I wasn't able to see truly firsthand people that were creatives and were really struggling and they wanted to have a business right and that was when I felt like I should write a maker's guide okay and yeah how long ago did you write this book is it's really truly it's it's awesome three years ago three years ago okay and I'm gonna put it in the show notes too because like I said I read it last week and it's not only is it you know very insightful, but it's just a beautiful book. It's it's fun to flip through, no matter what. It was, well, thank you, and I, I yeah. so appreciate that. It wasn't intended to be like a business book. Okay, it yeah. was supposed to be a book that would encourage give uh, encourage creatives, right? Exactly. Or yeah, understand it's what your gifting is. Understand your you have these talents and these gifts. Mm-hmm. Now let's hone them in. And how could we? How could you be really living to your fullest potential? Mm-hmm. And, and in gaining employment in your yeah. passion. I, what does that mean? The, so. You know what really stuck out to me? One part that did was the um, the 21-day challenge where to learn to cut back on things in life in order to achieve you know more of your goals. So I've been doing that this past week. It's hard, but it's um it, it it's true. Like you really have to look at you know your whole schedule 
And I think social media, I'm guilty of this, you know, you know, you get yes. locked onto it and then all of a sudden you're on it yes. for like 15, 20. And, um, so I work hard to try to cut back on that because I know that's, um, you know, stealing time where I could be doing more valuable things. So it was a good reminder to, to, to practice that 21 day challenge. You know, one thing that you don't know about me that, and, and of course I did mention it in my book when I, when I'm able to speak, um, I do share this, but mm-hmm. I'm also a cancer survivor. Oh, wow. And when people that have been affected by cancer, mm-hmm. either personally or someone very close to them, you start living with much more intention. Mm-hmm. You start looking at a day as a gift. Mm-hmm. And we're not promised tomorrow that we can live so intentionally and live and love so well mm-hmm. that you're like, if today was my last day, it's good. Right. And it puts such a balance to things. And, and you, you allow yourself to be so much more transparent and so much more real that that's why I, I don't, I don't, I don't waste my personal time and my evenings or my days for that matter with right. people that aren't at that same place. Right. That's a really, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Thank you for sharing that too, Amy. That's really nice of you to share. Um, uh, how long ago did you get over cancer? Almost two years. Oh, oh wow. So it's pretty recent. Um, wow. So here we are now. I think, um, we went through your whole story. Did we miss anything? I think we, I think we hit on everything, um, which was so cool to do. I was really, really excited for this interview because, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on you and I really love your story and how, um, you, you know, really followed your passion. Cause like I said, I think that a lot of people get, it's scary and you took the risk yes, and it's scary. you're a good example of where, it can take you, you know what I mean? So I'm happy to have you on the show. And one more uh, selfish questions I always ask at the very end. Um, so I'm 30 and I would love to hear what advice you would give to your 30 year old self. I have tears just <laughs> flowing down my face. Yeah. You're a beautiful young woman with incredible gifts like no one else has. Mm -hmm. You were created for a specific purpose. Mm -hmm. Part of what your journey is in your life is to figure out specifically that purpose. Mm -hmm. Know that it's going to align directly what, when you, when you just, when you come alive, when you feel so much of like yourself, Mm -hmm. what it is that you're doing, Mm -hmm. that's probably what it is. And then you have to reverse engineer. How are you going to make a living at it? Mm -hmm. Um, invest in things that have more eternal significance mm. in people. Okay. There's such a power. Love works and, um, so powerful, but, um, and make sure that you partner with someone in life that will value you as mm. the woman that God created you to be and mm. how special you are. Because that is, um, if I if I look back, I realize my divorce has made me a lot of the woman that I am today. Because mm-hmm. I had to, okay, I had to be that person. But also, I chose a life partner that believed the best in me. Okay, and that decision to marry the right person mm-hmm. that we shared so much of our 
our, our dreams and our the way we were raised and what we wanted our life were the same. Mm-hmm. But we don't spend a whole lot of time arguing and mm-hmm. fighting and, and, and being very selfish. Right. We want what the other what's best for the other person. Mm-hmm. So um, be very careful in the kind of you know life partner you choose. You're choosing, and yeah. Be true to yourself and what your passions are and um, I truly believe that you can make a living at it. I, mm-hmm. I just life is way, way too short. Right. Thank you, Amy. That was so nice. It really was. Um, and one last question, if you could give one book to every person besides your own, <laughs> um, what book would it be? God's holy word. It'd be Bible. You know, what's so funny is that I was just telling you yesterday, I interviewed a gentleman named Muse Wolfington, um, who you would really, I think, admire. He's 84 years old and he, um, you know, it took him almost 20 years to prove his concept that he invented and he persevered. And it's a really cool story, but he said the same thing. He said the Bible when I asked him that yesterday. So I think that's, um, I think that's pretty cool. It's a love letter. Yeah. It's a love letter on how to live life. Mm -hmm. So, um, stay, stay in contact with me. Mm Mm-hmm. After this, yeah. if you ever just want to talk or walk through something, I think you're very, very special. Oh, thank you. And um, I think you're on to something. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success. Or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.